Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. Before we attempt to answer anything, let's pray and ask God for wisdom. Our loving Father in heaven, we come to you as your children at your invitation. We need insight, Lord, to answer this question. Grant it to us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, the first question and the only question for this uh, tonight is, Pastor Skeet, is it possible to live without sinning? Well, that's a very profound question. The simple answer is yes. It's not only is it possible, is it required? And the answer is yes. Now, can you do it in your own strength? The answer is a resounding thunderous no. Why did Jesus come? To show us what is possible in human flesh that holds on to divine power. Let me say that again. Jesus demonstrated in his life what is possible in the life of a human being when that person lays hold on and refuses to let go divine power. When Jacob wrestled with the angel, the angel said, let me go. That was Christ. And Jacob said, no, not except you bless me. And because he overcame, the Bible says, he overcame with man and with God. It is possible by holding on to God to live one day at a time without sinning. Let me ask you this, and I shall release you, Dr. Ellie, the next Surgeon General of the United States, Dr. Ellie Kim. Let me ask you this. Is it possible to live one day without sinning? Yes or no? Yes. If it is possible to do it for one day, it is possible to do it from now until God puts you in the grave, if he chooses to do that before he comes, because we are required to live what kind of lives? One day at a time. Now, you may find that funny. When God sent manna, Exodus 16, how much, did, how much manna did he send for Monday? Only enough for Monday. How much did he send for Wednesday? Only enough for Wednesday. That's God's lesson. Live one day at a time. Now, if you ask me, after smoking for 25 years, can you give up smoking for, another, for, for 50 years? I may say, no, are you crazy? But if you ask me, can I give it up for one day? Yes. Christians live too much for the future. We must live for today. And if we live for today... If we use the manna God gives us for today, and that's all he promises, today we will live victorious Christian lives. Somebody say amen. amen. The answer is yes. We, it not only can we live above sin by the power of Christ, we are required to live above sin. And I hopefully will talk about that a little more in this evening's message. Let me remind you, we're praying for the second Sabbath afternoon. The service will be 4 o'clock. 4? 4 o'clock? We're meeting in, is it Chan Hall? Did I say that correctly? Chan Auditorium. I guess an auditorium is different from a hall. Chan Auditorium. Sabbath afternoon, 4 o'clock. In preparation, I'm asking us to make spiritual preparations quite seriously. If we've sinned against someone, please go to that person and say, I'm sorry. God requires it. If someone has offended you, be like Christ. Come down from your high position. Go to that person and say, I forgive you. And in so doing, you release that person. And three, if there's something you or I are doing that's wrong, let's go to God privately and say, Father, I've been wrong. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Cleanse my heart. And optionally, 
We're fasting this coming Sabbath from Friday evening until after the 4 o'clock service. The fasting is not required, but it is recommended. And we're praying most of, of all for spiritual healing, for the power of God's Spirit in our lives, that that Spirit may open our eyes, that we may realize we're living in really perilous, dangerous times. All right, let's uh, bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, as we enter into the message tonight, I pray in the name of Jesus, you will be with us in the person of your Spirit. Grant me the words to speak, and grant to your people listening hearts, hearts eager to receive the truth. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. In Exodus chapter 3, Exodus chapter 3, our subject is, What is and where is the kingdom of God? Exodus chapter 3, reading from verse 9. Exodus 3. Now therefore, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayst bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now this is God speaking to Moses from the burning bush. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh and bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token that I have sent thee, when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, thou shalt serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, verse 13, When I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers have sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? That tells us immediately, that prolonged exposure to Egyptian culture had rendered the large majority of Israelites no longer able to recall the name of their God. If we allow the world to influence us long enough, there are some critical things about our religion that we will simply forget. And so Moses, knowing that the majority of his people had forgotten what God's name was, he asks a very reasonable question. When I come to the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers have sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, verse 14, I am that I am. Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am have sent me unto you. God identifies himself as I am. This was the God that spoke from the burning bush. This was the God of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, it's important for us as we continue with what and where is the kingdom of God to understand who I am is. I am being, of course, the self-existent one, existing with no help from anyone, particularly Pharaoh. Let's go to John chapter 8 John chapter 8 we'll read verse I believe it's verse 56 John 8 56 
This is Jesus Christ having one of his usual arguments with the scribes and the Pharisees. And Jesus makes a statement. Let's go to verse 58 actually. He said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day and he saw it and was glad. Your father Abraham, he said, rejoiced to see my day and he saw it. Jesus says, my day. So the Jews were shell-shocked. They said, thou art not yet 50 years old and hast thou seen Abraham? Then Jesus made a statement that almost cost him his life. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham what? Was. Finish it. I am. What is Jesus doing? What does he reveal by making that statement? That he is God. And that it was he who appeared in the burning bush to Moses. Now we have to understand that the God of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. The same God that drowned the entire Egyptian army, this was the same God who was there on that cross. We have to understand that. And so when we read in verse 3, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire. Exodus 3 verse 2, Out of the midst of the bush. This was Jesus Christ. Because in verse 6 we read, Moreover he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon whom? Upon God. Jesus Christ was the God who appeared to Moses in that burning bush. Jesus Christ it was who told Moses, Go to Pharaoh and ask him to let my people go. It was Jesus Christ. He wasn't called Christ then, just the son, second member of the Godhead. But let us be clear. The God of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Someone said to me several years ago, if you want to learn about Christ, read the Old Testament. If you want to learn about the Father, read the Gospels. Because Jesus did not come to do his own will, but whose will? The will of the Father. He came to reflect the Father. That's why he could tell Philip, If ye have seen me, ye have seen the Father. John 14, verse 9 and 10. Verse 9. And if you want to know about the Holy Spirit, you read from Acts on through the epistles. It was Jesus Christ. Now, let's read some more words about Jesus Christ. Let's go to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus 19, we shall read from verse 1. As we continue, what and where is the kingdom of God? And time seems to move so quickly when I have what I consider a very important message. It's already 7.24. If anyone knows how to slow time down, please do that for me so I can have a little more time. Genesis, Exodus 19 from verse 1. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim, and were come into the desert of Sinai, and had pitched in the wilderness, and they Israel camped before the mount. This is Mount Sinai. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. Now reading from verse 4, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians. Now, what did God do to the Egyptians? Ten of these. What are these? Plagues. And God says, you saw. Ye have seen what I did unto Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto whom? 
Myself. When God saves you, he saves you with a divinely selfish motive, if I can put those two words together. He saves you so that you may be entirely his. God does not share what he has with the world. By the world, I mean that sinful system run by the devil. God brought them out of Egypt unto himself. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, verse 5, and will do what? Keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all nations or all people, for all the earth is mine. Now, read verse 5 again. Let's view that verse very carefully. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then... I've told you many times, you're probably sick to death of hearing me. God is a God of process. He's a God of one step before the other. He's a God of order. He's systematic. Therefore, if ye obey my voice indeed, if ye keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure, meaning something that belongs to him very specially. Above how many people? All people. For all the earth is mine. God is saying, even though everyone on earth is mine by virtue of creation, the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Psalm 24 verse 1. By virtue of creation, every living person under the earth, sun belongs to God. By virtue of creation, not by virtue of salvation. Am I clear? By virtue of creation, not by salvation. Salvation, you've got to choose Christ. But God says, you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, meaning that in Israel, God would have the only people keeping his commandments. Because all the others were not. I want that to sink in. Listen to the verse again. I tend to speak quickly when I have a little time and I'm excited. And I see people who love the word. Fatal combination. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, and I will proceed momentarily to identify the covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me, here are the Israelites, above all people. In other words, the earth is divided into the Israelites and everybody else. Do you see that? It may not be politically correct, but that's what the verse says. The Israelites and everyone else. And God wants the Israelites to be the example of obedience to his word. And God said, those who do that, who obey me, will be a special treasure unto me. How many of us want to be special to God? Can I see your hands? Oh, God bless you. Your hands rose up like quick-growing grass. Let me tell you something. You cannot be special to God in a life of disobedience. 
I don't care how well you dress, how many Sabbaths you attend church, how much tithe you give. If the life is a life of disobedience, a life disregarding God's word, we cannot be a special treasure unto God. The specialness of our relationship with God is based on our heartfelt obedience to His commandments. Verse 6, And you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests. What kind of priests? A kingdom of priests. And what kind of nation? A holy nation. Kingdom, nation, same thing. Priests take care of holy things. A holy nation is a kingdom of priests. Same thing. For all practical purposes. This was Christ's intention when he sent Moses to get the Israelites. God always has a purpose. Many times we do things for no good reason. Simply because we have nothing else to do. That's why a lot of people are behind bars. But God always has a reason for what He does. And so He brought them out that they might be a special treasure to Him by the keeping of His commandments and His covenant. Now what is the covenant? Stay in the book of Exodus chapter 34 verses 27 and 28 as we continue what and where is the kingdom of God. Exodus 34 verses 27 and 28. How many of us are here for the first time? May I see your hands? God bless you. Thank you very much for coming. Those of you who've never missed one session, afternoon or evening, let me see your hands. God bless you. I have not missed any either. And we're happy for that. All right. Do you have Exodus 34? Verse 27, 28. And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words, I have made what? A covenant with thee and with Israel. The ten of them means simply according to these words, on the basis of these words, in the light of these words. And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote on the tables the words of what? The covenant. And what was the covenant? The Ten Commandments. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Let's read verse 12, 731. Deuteronomy 4, verse 12. Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, the last book of the Pentateuch, chapter 4, verse 12. And the Lord spake unto you out of the midst of the fire. Ye heard the voice of the words, but saw no similitude, only ye heard a voice. And he declared unto you his what? Which he commanded you to what? Perform. Even, even ten commandments and he wrote them upon two tables of stone. The covenant is the ten commandments. You see, every kingdom must have a constitution. God's kingdom has one. And the constitution in heaven is the constitution for God's people on earth. Because God's people on earth are merely an extension of the kingdom in heaven. Come on, I need more amends. I will beg until I leave here March the 10th. The kingdom on earth is but an extension of God's kingdom in heaven. Consequently, the constitution that is the foundation of God's kingdom in heaven is the same constitution that must be the foundation of God's kingdom on earth. Now... We know that there are 48 states in continental United States. Hawaii is thousands of miles away. 
Is it part of the United States? Does it have a different constitution? No. Same constitution, same government, but separated by thousands of miles. Heaven, we don't know how many light years away it is. The earth, the distance makes no difference. The constitution in heaven is the constitution on earth. And that constitution is the ten commandments. Are you listening to me? Let me tell you something else about this constitution. That is the foundation of God's kingdom. It was not written by God and man. God did not have any input from mankind. Doesn't need it. The constitution was written entirely by God. And what God does, He sends out invitations to come and be a part of this kingdom. And the only requirement for participation and citizenship in this kingdom is conformity to His law through faith in Jesus Christ. And God is so eager that we be part of His kingdom. God sent His Son Jesus to show us that admission into his kingdom is eminently possible. The standards for admission are possible to a human being. Born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Born after the image of Adam after he fell. And so Jesus came and by a life of victory he demonstrated that all those who will accept him by faith and live as he lived by holding on to the Father may be admitted into that kingdom of glory. And so Jesus said in John 14 verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Then he says in verse 4, And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. In other words, you know where I'm going, and you know how to get there. Now, getting there does not require geographical directions. That's not how you get to heaven. You don't need to go to MapQuest to find out how to get from here to heaven. So Jesus says, and whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? How does one get to heaven? Jesus said, you know how to get to heaven. Jesus said in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The same way I am going to heaven is the same way you go to heaven. I lived like you. I held on tenaciously to my father's power. I overcame. He has accepted my sacrifice. I am going back. You follow me the same way through my example by faith in me. That's how you find your way to heaven. So I'm going to prepare the way for you. That is a statement of faith. Because these were the 11 men who would run from him. 11 would run in the garden of Gethsemane. One would betray him. Yet Jesus has faith. He has confidence. It's a beautiful concept to think that Jesus has faith in us. 
Remember when he said, Simon, 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 Satan hath desired to tempt you as wheat, but I, has, I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Jesus is telling Peter, you will be tested, you will be tried, you will betray me, but I know you will come through. That is divine having confidence in the human when the human holds on to the divine. And so Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you because I believe you will make it there through faith in me. Now, the kingdom of God, I say, has one constitution. When Jesus was before Pilate in John 18, Pilate asked him a question in verse 35. Pilate said, Thy own nation and the chief priest hath delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? In verse 36, the Bible says, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. What did he mean? Pilate was a ruler in an earthly kingdom. And he was surrounded by all the trappings. Roman seal, Roman guard, Roman palace. The power of life and death in his hand. Roman troops all over Jerusalem under his command. All the signs of an earthly kingdom. And Jesus said to this earthly ruler, My kingdom is not of this world. He goes on to say, If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. That I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. You see, let me point something out to you. When you are a member of the kingdom of Christ, you do not use the methods of the world. It's in that verse. Listen to what Jesus says. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants do what? Fight. That's how the Romans did it. They fought. That's how the Babylonians did it. They fought. The Medo-Persians did it. They fought. That's how the Alexandria, the, uh, the Greeks did it. They fought. That's how earthly nations defend their sovereignty. They fight. And Christians must not use the ways of the world. Jesus says, in my kingdom, people don't fight. That's for your kingdom, Pilate, not mine. If my kingdom were of this world, meaning if my kingdom were worldly, earthly, then would my servants fight. But now is my kingdom... Not from thence. The kingdom of Jesus Christ is both literal and spiritual. There is a new Jerusalem in heaven. A city. Someone told me a few days ago, it is estimated the city is the size of Oregon. Well, if no amen, you might at least smile. Who has a city the size of Oregon? The city God has prepared for us. There's a space station up there somewhere, am I right? Astronauts go up and down, live there for six months. They take food, groceries, supplies, cornflakes, milk, soy milk, and they go up and down. They live in heaven. If human beings can do that, why can't my God build a city in heaven? If human beings can stay on the earth, and communicate with a satellite millions of miles in space. Why can't I kneel on my knees and pray? And God hear me as though he's right next to me. God has a physical and a spiritual kingdom. The spiritual kingdom is the kind of life required 
of a citizen of the kingdom. And that life is a righteous life. It is based on the constitution. I watched the, uh, the inauguration on uh, January, whenever it was, 20. And President Bush raised his right hand and he swore to do what? Defend what? Uphold what? The Constitution. He swore to uphold the Constitution. Any person convicted on a law found to be unconstitutional is done. What happens to that person? You're set free. Any law determined to be unconstitutional is supposed to be removed from the books because the Constitution is the ultimate standard in this country of what's right and what's wrong, what's legal and what's illegal. The Ten Commandments are God's Constitution. And they are required as the standard of living for those in heaven now. And as the standard of living for those on the earth now who are part of the extended kingdom of God. And so when Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, he's not saying my kingdom is not on the earth. It is on the earth in the lives of his people. And so you and I represent the kingdom of God. And based on what Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. For if my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight? We understand from that statement that we must live our lives and take care of our business in a way that is vastly different from the way the world does it. Because we are not of this world. And in praying to his father in John 17, Jesus says in verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of this world. Let me say something here. If the church is getting along fine with the world, something is not right. I just thought to say that. Had I thought earlier, I might have gotten the quotation from Ella White. She said the only reason the church is not persecuted, because the church is just like the world. This one, I said this one, I didn't say you, I said this one, and it is sad, because when we drift from the constitution of the kingdom of God, we become like the world, because there are only two constitutions, God's commandments and the anti-commandments, which is be saved and then live as you like. That's the constitution of the world. God's constitution is the standard of righteousness unequal in the cosmos. Vast and limitless. And that is the expression of the righteousness of God himself. And that expression is the Ten Commandments. And Jesus came and put flesh and bones on the Ten Commandments in his life. And now he says to you, you know the way. As I lived, you live. That's the way to the kingdom. Faith in Jesus Christ, of whom it is said, I delight to do thy will, O my God, yea, thy law is on two pieces of stone. You must correct me quickly. I'm being taped. Yea, thy law is where? Within my heart. And that goes back to the sanctuary we talked about earlier today, 745. 
The sanctuary was two compartments, the holy, the most holy. In the most holy was the ark. A three-layered box, wood in the middle, gold on the inside, gold on the outside. Ten commandments in there, covered by the mercy seat. The throne of God. Verse 22, Exodus 25. Moses tell, God tells Moses, And I, there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony, and in all things which I shall give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Everything I say, I will say as the sovereign of the universe, sitting from my throne. Our president is called a sitting president. Why? Because he is currently in office. He is a sitting president. God sits on his throne. I'm not saying God never moves. It has symbolic uh, meaning. It means God is always in control. God never has term limits. Are you following me? In four years, George W. Bush can no longer run for president. He will be a former president. No longer sitting in the final two years, he will be a lame duck president. God is not a lame duck God. He is a God. He's an active God, a supreme God, a ruler, a sovereign. And I say again, the constitution of his kingdom is the Ten Commandments. And that must be the constitution for his kingdom on earth and the constitution in our private lives. The Ten Commandments that most people don't like. I'm always puzzled why people object to the Ten Commandments. Can you imagine a man going to the police station, maybe the Loma Linda police, tells the officer, Sergeant, I have a complaint to make. The deaf sergeant said, what is it? No one breaks into my house. My car is parked on the road. No one steals it. What kind of a town is this? Or some man goes to his priest, he confesses, I've been married to my wife 15 years, and the woman is faithful, I, can't, I don't understand. What's wrong with this woman? She's faithful. <laughs> the commandments of God are for our happiness. Somebody say amen. They are for our happiness, our security. But when people attack the commandments, let me tell you a secret at 47, 30 minutes to 8, they are attacking the Sabbath. Satan is so vicious that he is willing to destroy all ten to get one. So when people say the commandments are done away with, we're living under grace, you ask them, does that mean I can kill you now? No, 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 no. Can I take your wife? Mm -mm. Can I break into your house tonight, steal your jewelry? No. Well, then what precisely do you mean the commandments have been done away with? Silence. It is a satanic argument to undermine the commandment that truly expresses the sovereignty of God. The, his right to rule in this kingdom of righteousness because he made it. He made it. And at the heart of this constitution is the Sabbath commandment that explains where we came from, where the universe came from, and gives us why God has the right to sit on that throne. 
And I have something to say about the Sabbath before I leave here. Maybe Thursday, maybe I'll mix it in on Friday. By the way, I'll talk more about living above sin on Friday evening. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm, saying, I'm trying to say as many things as I can. 2 Peter chapter 3, reading from verse uh, 10. As we continue, what is and where is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is that kingdom of right living according to God's commandments, and it is right here on this earth, being an extension of God's kingdom in heaven. 2 Peter chapter 3, reading from verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, into which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of the God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Now verse 13. Peter writes, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for what? New heavens, go on, and new earth, wherein dwelleth, wherein dwelleth, one more time, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Now, Jesus said, I've gone to prepare a place. It's a righteous place. I told you God works by procedure. He works by a step-by-step -step process. Before Moses could lead the Israelites for 40 years, what did he have to lead for 40 years? Sheep. Before Adam could be certified safe, what did God have to put him through? A test. Before God could destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, who, whom did he have to remove? Lot. Before destroying Nineveh, what did he have to do? Send a warning. One thing comes before the other. And before we are admitted to new heavens and new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness, we must demonstrate on this earth that we can live the righteous life we're expected to live over there. This must come first. God must see that those applying for positions in His kingdom, if I can put it that way, they must demonstrate their fitness for that kingdom by living the kingdom life now. I'm not sure I said that clearly. I did? Well, just in case, let me say it again. It is so serious. Listen to me. No one sets foot into that kingdom who has not lived a kingdom life now. Heaven is not a place to learn how to live right. The earth is the place to do that. Not just to learn, but to master it. Let me say it again. To learn and to master it. Because Jesus isn't coming to save people from sin. He's coming to collect those who've already overcome sin. How much sin? All sin. Well, let me talk to this side. How much sin? Let's keep things balanced here. My beloved brothers and sisters, this is so serious. Earth is the place where we learn to live like Christ, not heaven. And no one will set foot in a righteous world. Peter says, wherein dwelleth righteousness lives in the new world. When God comes back, makes this world brand new. Revelation 21.1, and I saw a new heaven, new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. In that new world where there shall be no hurt in all my holy mountain, righteousness reigns and dwells. Consequently, we must be righteous.
to be admitted. And that righteousness is the very righteousness expressed in the law. That is why the Bible says, God sending His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be what? Fulfilled where? In us. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And that's where we make the mistake. We long to live in a righteous world while we walk after the flesh. It doesn't work. That's like washing your hands and drying them in dirt. It does not work. If we long to live in a righteous world, we must walk after the Spirit. I say again, how many of us want to see God's face and live in heaven? Can I see your hands? I believe you. Yes, we do. And when I say heaven, I really mean this earth. We'll only be there a thousand years. You know that. Now, perhaps we'll visit back and forth. I don't know. But we'll be there a thousand years. We come back. This is where we live. The earth made new. When God made Adam, he put him here, not up there. So this is Eden restored. We want to live in a world where people don't lock doors. You don't have to... Some lovely lady, she's sitting in the front, gave me a ride today in her limousine. She gave me a great blessing at the Loma Linda Market. I won't say what it is. It's our secret for life. We'll talk about it in the new world. And uh, she had a, a metal thing on the steering wheel of the car. I don't know what you call it. What's it? A who? A what? A club. Sounds violent. Okay, a club. <laughs> and I said to her, why do you need this club on Loma Linda's campus? That was my question. I saw a sign in the Loma Linda Market parking lot. Lock your car. Okay. Why? I thought we were good Adventists. But apparently there's some who are not. In the new world which Christ is making, you don't have to put a club on your chariot. No one will steal your horses. You don't need an alarm system on your door. Because the only people coming in and out are the angels. You don't need neighborhood watch. You don't need chapel credit. <laughs> Let the church say amen. amen. My brothers and sisters, we're smiling and smiling is good. Laughter with good like a medicine at five minutes to eight. But I need to tell you that we need to treasure and to long for a righteous life. Which is not simply what you do. That's the second level of righteousness. The first level is who you are. That's why God takes His law. You know, Jesus said, I'd like to do Thy will, O my God. Yea, Thy law is within my heart. I told you a few days ago, God writes His constitution on every citizen's heart. And so we find great joy in being law-abiding citizens of the kingdom. The world needs to see the kingdom of God in action and the world must see it in our lives as a church and our lives as individual because we live by kingdom principles not earthly principles Jesus said in John 8 23 to the scribes and Pharisees ye are from beneath I'm from above ye are of this world I am not of this world. He said to, of his disciples, he said the same thing. John 17, 16, they are not of this world, even as I am not of this world. 
Now that's a tremendous comparison. The same way Jesus says that I am different from this world, my disciples are different from this world. All children of God, raise your right hand quickly. We don't have a lot of time. Good. We must be different from this world. I should not learn what the latest fashion is in the world by coming to church. I should not learn what the latest rap song is by listening to the young people in the parking lot right after midday service. Because we're different. You know, people laugh at the, the, the Amish. You know the Amish in Pennsylvania? Because the way they dress and they run, ride around in horse and buggy. But let me tell you something. When the Amish sell foodstuffs, people buy them. You know why? They trust them. <laughs> If these people will hold on so faithfully to their way of life, you can trust anything they do. Can the world trust us? Don't answer me. Can the world trust us? God wants to put His kingdom in your heart tonight if it's not there. With its constitution written not on tables of stone as in Exodus 20, but on the fleshy tables of the heart. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 3. How many of you will say with me, Lord, I want to be a citizen in your kingdom beginning now. Let me see your hand. Here's what I want you to do. Two minutes to eight. Give me five more, please. Write on your card. All you need to write on that card is a large K. I desire with all my heart. God loves decisions. He always told his people, choose one way or the other. He loves decisions. When we make decisions for Christ, we get into the habit of making decisions for Christ. It's a mental discipline. You write on that card a large K. Kingdom. I want to be in the kingdom of God. I want to be a citizen of that kingdom beginning now on this earth. Just write a K. If you want Bible studies, check that box. If you want to meet with me one-on-one, -on -one, check that box. I believe tomorrow we shall have sign-up sheets. The one-on-one -on -one counseling begins on Sunday. I think it's 9 to 5 on Sunday, 1 to 8, Monday through Wednesday. And of course, I depart on Thursday. So be sure to sign up. I don't know if the sheets are ready, perhaps not, but they'll certainly be here tomorrow. But on that card, a large K, I want to be a citizen of the kingdom and live by the principles of the constitution, God's sacred law that expresses his character precisely. A law that works at the very level of motive and thought long before I get to the level of action and behavior. You see, in the kingdom of God, God deals with sin. In the kingdom of Caesar, he deals with crime, as one of our pioneers said. So you kill someone, you've committed a crime. In the kingdom of God, you just have to think it, and you've committed a sin. That's a higher level of living. Large K, I want to be a citizen. Paul says in Philippians 3.20, For our conversation or lifestyle or citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior. Where Christ is coming from is where our heart is.
And all those who will say with me, Father, help me by my daily life to reflect the principles of the constitution of your kingdom. Stand to your feet, please. And I want you to be serious as I try to be, please. If we're not reflecting the principles of that constitution, we are bearing false witness against our neighbor because we're saying one thing and doing something else. The Bible says, thou shalt not bear false witness. Let me say it again. If the world knows Adventists believe so and so, and we don't live it, we are bearing false witness. And also taking the name of the Lord our God in vain. But I believe with all my heart that you and I are serious tonight. Lord, rewrite your constitution on my heart. So I just have my impulses become holy. My instincts become righteous. My first reaction is a holy one. That is what happens when that which is of the spirit is spirit, and that which is born of the flesh is flesh. When we are all spirit, our instincts are like Jesus. Ah, let's bow our heads, please, our eyes closed. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I beg you with all my heart and soul, Lord, to receive us for the sake of our Savior who came, lived a kingdom life and has left the way for us to follow him. And that way is his life, which we accept by faith, and we live out through the power of the Father. Lord, I ask you to have mercy on us and forgive us for the times we have misrepresented what the kingdom stands for. We have talked about the kingdom with our lips, but we have not represented it in our lives. And we are sorry. Dig out from our hearts all that is unlike you and unlike your kingdom so that we at every level of our lives in details large and small might behave ourselves and think and speak and respond like a citizen of the kingdom though we now live on the earth. Lord, please hear us. Hear us, I pray, Father. We're living in dangerous times and we need the assurance that we're safe under your wing. Lord, grant us your spirit, that the spirit might bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We need that testimony from heaven. As you testify that Abel was righteous, as you testify that Noah is righteous, oh Father, testify tonight that we are righteous, and we indeed are citizens of your kingdom. Lord, hear this humble prayer. I plead from my heart. Bless my brothers and sisters who love your word so much, they come night after night. Take them home safely and bring us back tomorrow, I pray. In Jesus' name and for his sake, let all citizens of God's kingdom say with me, Amen and Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Travel safely and we shall see you tomorrow evening and tomorrow uh, early afternoon.